This is the Universe, Episode 4, Who Would Cut Off Their Arm, on Saturday, February 25th, 2012. And now, you get Calculator. How's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Uh, pretty good. We had, a, we had a good show last night for uh, At The Nexus. Oh, yeah? And uh, we also had a uh, State of the Nexus podcast right before that. That kind of went over some of the statistics on the network and how we're doing in general. And, of course, cool. we're doing great. Yeah. Yeah. What I hear. So uh, how's um, how's uh, astrophysics and other classes going these days? Uh, pretty good. Um, I, I heard you slept through one of them or two of them or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, so very tired. That's just... Hold on. Sorry. Something is music. Well, I know how that is. I had to figure out where that was coming from. All right. Um, yeah, we'll just not tell anyone about that. It's okay. <laughs> that sounds good. So um, what, what have you been learning in those? <clears throat> well, I uh, started studying uh, the Schrodinger wave equation. Schrodinger wave equation. What does that do? That describes the wave function of matter. Oh. So, yeah, the, there's like the wave particle duality between matter and light. And the wave equation that describes matter particles is, uh, like, our current knowledge of it is pretty much wholly contained in the Schrodinger equation, which is pretty cool. Well, that is pretty cool. Yeah, I, don't, I, I guess I didn't get there in physics yet. I'm still in E&M. We um, just started, well, we just kind of finished capacitors, and uh, now we're going to be doing review for our uh, midterm on Friday. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did your, has your professor ever said that, um, the word that unit is it the the farad or the farad? Um, yeah, actually, he has. How do you pronounce it? Farad. Farad. Yeah, okay. I was wondering about that. But he tries to not say it if he doesn't have to. Yeah. Like um, he'll just put an F. <laughs> little little, little yeah. lowercase F. So I guess he he kind of just gets away with by just saying it has four Fs. Oh. Yeah, that's right. So it works. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I had to do a bunch of calculations with those farads the other day. Mm-hmm. Yep, capacitance and stuff. Yeah, those things. Well, it's I. You know, my favorite part about a capacitance and a capacitor in general is that it's exponential decay for its energy uh, storing capabilities. Yeah. Yeah, that's any anything with exponential decay is my favorite. Well. Yeah. So what are when when are you having those midterms for those classes? Um, they have, uh, all passed so far. I've had, oh, just kidding. One's on Wednesday. The rest are done. I, I hear you, um, are displeased with that other programming class. Oh, yeah. Uh, computer science. Yeah. What's, what's going on there? I don't know. It's boring. Yeah. I, I know. How, how have the lectures been? Um, couldn't tell you. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know, if you'd asked me last that the same thing last semester, I wouldn't have been able to tell you either. I only went to maybe one in two weeks. Yeah, yeah. I've gone to one so far. Okay, well, then. I've gone to like three. But after I realized that lecture doesn't really teach you anything besides what is covered either in the book or in the labs, then. Well, yeah, and you know, I don't even. I, what, what do you think of the book in general? I know it's made by MIT, and I, you know what I don't like about it is that each section really should be its own pair, or its own chapter. Yeah, that's true. They they it's too much stuff really in one thing, but it's not really even like that 
helpful. I know. It's not it, that it, it, it really, what they explain. And I know, and it's and it isn't helpful. I think they do a lot better with giving more re- logical examples instead of all of the roundabout stuff they normally do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, have, I haven't spent a lot of time in the book. Um, I don't know. There's so far the, the homeworks and labs haven't been. What um, what are um, you, what are you doing in the homeworks these di- these uh, past few weeks? Um, well, we did this past homework. It's only the second homework, but um, there was like some uh, iteration and recursion problems, okay. and uh, uh, there was uh, like passing lambda procedures as arguments um, and returning lambda procedures as arguments, mm-hmm. um, and. Stuff like that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just looking through the um, the scheme documentation. Like it's the scheme reference, not not like the book and not like a like real documentation. But it's so right. much more clear than that the ridiculous book nonsense. And, and surprising that scheme can do so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, we uh, yeah we actually yeah. have some uh, stuff in the show notes about it too because I thought it was fairly amusing to uh, mention it about. This, um, because you found um, you actually read the book enough to find out those optional yeah, arguments. I read, yeah, I read through the documentation a little bit, or the, this like semi documentation. Well, um, it's better than nothing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know. I just there's um, some interesting things. We were doing iteration, and I asked the TA how to do iteration without like they kept showing. Uh, like those, a helper the, procedure, yeah, those nested procedures. procedure call, mm-hmm. and I thought that was stupid. So I was like, "Well, how do you do it without that?" And he right. didn't know, so I had to go look it up, and then I found yeah. on being optional. Right, and so one of the funny things about that is that in other languages, like not in Java, but in like JavaScript and PHP and other C-based languages, um, you can actually do optional arguments. You can set a default value and then let it run. Or you can actually have it just, you can actually ignore arguments completely. So you can have five arguments, but only give it three and just ignore the rest. So it it makes sense that that's in there. It's just that I guess that class doesn't want you to not put your arguments in. I don't know. I mean, they, they didn't like have an issue with it. Sometimes they have issues if you use things that they haven't explicitly like said you can. Have you ever run class. into the um, begin structure? I have not. So, uh, you know, in the um, scheme if statements, that uh, if you want to run multiple expressions, you can't, really? Um, if you want to, yeah. yeah. Right. So what you, what you can do instead is you can use a begin structure around your multiple statements. So then it's executed in a different scope or block or whatever they call it, and you can actually get away with it. So I did that one day, and they didn't like it. I'll have to try that, see what they say. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know, like... It was in like it was the first couple of weeks, so I don't know. Hmm. Well, you know, it, it it all goes back to the time when I learned, uh, or when I was learning Java in high school, and you know, I used I started to do array stuff in the second week, so that's just how fast you can learn when you go to class every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and do and teach yourself instead of paying attention. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's that's probably the better way to learn too. So we do have some news this week, not much, but some. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, one of my one of my favorite things are black holes, and apparently, NASA has discovered a black hole with twenty million mile per hour wind around it. 
Yeah, you know, I I heard about that. So that's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, sounds. I've never like. I mean, so stars. I, uh, I mean, you think of uh, like a stellar wind. You know, you've like heard of that or right. The like solar radiation heats up. Right. Or like yeah. Yeah, I know. I know all about the solar wind. I mean, it's a pretty common thing. That's what the light, the satellite sails use. But uh, so black hole yeah. wind is pretty uh, pretty cool. Yeah, that is interesting. So, so apparently, uh, the the twenty million mile per hour wind is about three percent of three percent of the speed of light. So, you know, if you're just just going over there, you know, you, m- you might get a little breezy. Yeah, uh, want to be careful when you're sailing through the galaxy. Or wait, so, let's see. So I wonder what causes this mysterious wind force. Um. Is it the um, gas or the vent horizon? Oh. Oh, sorry. Um, I think that it has something to do with the radiation emitted by the black hole. Oh, okay. Um, which I'm not familiar with. I like. I mean, I know that there's a Hawking radiation is uh, one form, um, obviously named after Stephen Hawking, who like first yeah. thought of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been observed, so it's like experimentally confirmed. Uh, well, but, in, in the article, it says that the wind originates from the uh, disk of gas surrounding the black hole. So, I guess you know it's really hot. So then things, you know, right? Yeah, hot the, things make wind. Right. The wind is just gas particles moving fast. But what gives them the energy to do that? I well, think is what what makes the gas spin? Uh. Well, I think that's there's. A, gravitational sort of like tidal forces so maybe that's that what it is could be hmm it's interesting I, I like i like i like black holes there they're pretty interesting it also says that this wind is less or you know is about the same as other supermassive black hole winds that are usually billions of times more massive than this particular black hole so this one has a you know really strong wind yeah mm-hmm. and of course it is twenty eight thousand light years away so i think we're fine no, I have I have a question for you. So you know uh, superclusters, right? Yeah. So I I don't know like how, how does a supercluster form? Like because I know how like a galaxy probably forms. You know it uses that black hole as a catalyst to bind you know each concentric ring of more stuff outside of itself. So f- would a supercluster kind of have like a really supermassive black hole? Well, no. I mean, so galaxies don't necessarily like. It's not like there's a black hole. And then it like no, moves around it, and gathers. Things. No, it, it doesn't. But it's, I mean, it it it, hold, it it makes the center. Well, it right. It forms in the center right. of so like Big Bang happens, and then and there's like a fairly uniform. Uh, when you're looking from like a large enough scale, there's a fairly uniform distribution of like gas and things throughout the universe. And as this gas starts to clump together due to gravity. Um, it, like there forms enough heat uh, from that gravitational pressure that nuclear fusion can happen, forms for stars, things like that. And the galaxies are just like large collections of those types of things with generally we believe that galaxies have like supermassive black holes at the center right. to sort of hold everything together. Um, at least the Milky Way does. Uh, and so... Superclusters are sort of a collection of galaxies 
Yeah, um, but they don't they don't really behave like galaxies, as far as I know. No, no, it, it's they're groups of galaxies and star clusters um, that are not necessary. They, it's not like a galaxy. Like they're 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 not right. Uh, it's scattered. It's not parallel to like stars in a galaxy. They're, it's like a large grouping that we have noticed through observation is somewhat more isolated from the rest of the universe than they are from each other. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's sort of just a, a term that we apply to like large structures of the universe where there's like some there's different like densities of galaxies in the cluster, so we call the supercluster, and then there's voids, which are space between superclusters. Yeah, I, I know about those. It's kind of funny that they have voids. Yeah, I I think it's interesting. Um, I was actually just reading about this, uh, the cosmological principle, uh, uh, which says that well, one one sort of like interpretation of it is that viewed on a sufficiently large scale, the universe is uh, homogenous, essentially. Right. So the like laws of physics are the same anywhere. No matter where you look, it looks the same. Um, so we're not... And like one thing that you can get, that you can assume from that then, is like the Earth doesn't occupy like a special space in the universe or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so the supercluster thing i think is interesting because uh, there's uh, obviously then you have to zoom out to like a really large scale to be able to n- not notice the superclusters and voids and things because those are huge right now the most massive structures or like the largest structures that we know in the universe right size it's actually um a really interesting picture on wikipedia that illustrates this quite well um, it's got the Earth, and then it shows the solar system. Yeah, I'll, that, I'll put that in the show notes. I found it, too. Yeah, and it, it goes up, and it shows you the local galactic group, which is, uh, like, the Milky Way, Andromeda, uh, um, other nearby galaxies. Figuratively mm-hmm. nearby. Um, and then there's uh, the supercluster that we're in, and then it shows local superclusters with the voids, and then as you look at the observable universe, you sort of you begin to see the homogenization sort of of everything you can't really tell where we are there's no like center where we would be located necessarily right it's kind of cool to think about how big all of this is but also kind of sad yeah definitely sad but also extremely interesting we need we need need more ebelmart so uh hmm well i'll be working on expanding our reaches (laughs) yeah ebelmart from another supercluster Speaking of um, album art, most of our most of the Nexus's album art is taken from uh, nearby, presumably. Well, yeah, nearby. Um, not not our perpendicular probe. Yeah. Um, from uh, photos by like Hubble or other telescopes, probably mostly Hubble. Um, and I was just listening to. Um, a Q&A session with Neil deGrasse Tyson and someone brought up a question about uh, the Hubble deep field and ultra deep field images and I hadn't heard of those before so I went to look them up 
and the deep field image was taken in. Damn, close the window. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the Hubble deep field image was taken over ten days, um, and it's in 1995, and it's looking at one patch of the sky that is about one one hundredth the size of the moon in like angular diameter mm-hmm. it takes up about a hundredth of the space that the moon does in the sky. And so the Hubble telescope was just focused on that patch of sky for uh, multiple exposures that were then compo- composited together. And it essentially gives, that was like the deepest, because the further you look into space, essentially the further back in time you're looking towards the big bang. Right. Um, and so that was one of the deepest sort of, like furthest back in time views of the universe that we'd gotten. And it was very interesting. Um, I think it's very interesting to see like even now um, that there's uh, all these uh, galaxies and like proto galaxies and things like that Mm -hmm. um, in such a small like patch of the sky. Like, and you can imagine now that there's the Hubble ultra deep field, which shows uh, an even uh, further like an even more minute area of the sky and there's even more galaxies and like looking even further back towards the origins of the universe and so you know you think now we're going to get the james webb space telescope and take a james webb deep field picture and it's just amazing how much is out there like if you you can go find these pictures anywhere on the internet it's free I mean, if you think about how how tiny the uh picture of it how tiny the picture of or the space it's taking you know like if you sit on earth and then you look out it's 2.5 arc minutes and that's essentially nothing you know in terms of distance so it, it's um two parts in a million of the whole sky or 65 millimeters like it's almost 65 millimeters of... um it's 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 angular size to about uh, a 65 millimeter tennis ball at a distance of 100 meters. So it's not taking up a lot of space. You know, when it takes a picture, it's, you know, looking at a really tiny chunk. Yeah. And when you look at the picture of this deep field thing, you can see a lot of galaxies. Mm-hmm. And a lot of different galaxies. And yeah. It's, I don't know, it's, pretty, it's just pretty amazing to see sort of the... No, none like, of them are very good quality galaxies, but, you know, we'll work well, on it. The, the ultra-deep field has better image quality. Oh, that's much better. Not, not great, but... Oh, man, it's like an HD. <laughs> it's a lot less grainy. Yeah. Well, you can... Um, that that same page that you're probably looking at on Wikipedia has uh, an example of... Or for the Hubble Deep Field page, has an example of the um, Hubble's imaging capabilities before they oh, wow, installed that is... the corrective that, optics that we talked about. On that that is episode. quite a difference. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, what, what is that galaxy? Uh, it's Meser 100. Okay, I'm going to keep that in mind. <laughs> you never <yeah>. have enough. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely interesting. So what do you know about Hubble expansion? Or, yeah, Hubble expansion. What do you know about that? Um, well, Hubble expansion, I, I assume you're using like that's the term to describe um the accelerating expansion of the universe okay um so because i've i'd never heard it called that before 
I don't know that I have either. Um, I guess like it's not like a it makes sense though. I guess. Um, so when Edwin Hubble, the guy who the Hubble Space Telescope is named after, was um, well, he was a astronomer, obviously, and he um, was looking at galaxies um, that people thought were people didn't realize that there was anything outside the galaxy. This was at, in a point of evolution in astronomy where we knew that there was stuff outside of our solar system and we thought that we were just in the galaxy and that was it. And Hubble, Edwin Hubble was one of the, was the first person to um, sort of realize that some of these stars that you could see in the night sky were not were too far away to be in our galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was sort of how we realized that there were other galaxies that we weren't that our un that the universe wasn't the size of our galaxy. Um, and so one of the ways he did this was to look at the redshift, which is sort of like a Doppler shift in light. If you hear an ambulance go by, you notice changing the frequency of right. the siren. Mm-hmm. So sort of the same thing um, with light waves. And so Hubble took this data and he extrapolated um, a line of uh, sort of a, the changing redshift. So the larger redshift means that it's moving away faster and the distance that it is away from us. Right. So you end up with a line that has a slope, which is a constant now defined as Hubble's constant. Um, and uh, that, that phenomena, I guess you call it Hubble expansion. I, like you said, I've never heard that name. Yeah. I've always just um, called it expansion. I, I didn't know it had a, you know, a parameter or anything associated with it. Yeah. And well, so, um, one the the new or the not new the um, rate of expansion appears to be increasing. There is a sort of on the tail end of the data that has been taken, measuring these same redshifts and comparing them at different distances, shows that as you move further away, there is a slight increase in the slope of the line. So it's not completely linear, mm-hmm. which indicates that the rate at which the universe is expanding is increasing, which is uh, well, one of the um, sort of like data anomalies that gave rise to theories like dark energy and things like that. Yeah, um, and I've heard of that. Yeah. Uh, an interesting thing that I think is really cool about the Hubble constant is that if you divide or if you take the inverse of the Hubble constant, you get the age of the universe. Really? Um, yeah, so the way that works, well, can't remember exactly how it works off the top of my head. I had my astrophysics homework out, I could tell you. But at least you're doing so, it. <laughs> this is true. Um, well, the the Hubble constant is in units of the inverse seconds, um, which in so units of inverse time. Um, it's usually expressed as, which I think is weird. It's usually expressed as di- units of distance over time over distance. That's unusual. So they, yeah. I mean, it, it sort of makes sense because it gives you the speed of uh, 
things, how fast things are moving away at a given distance. So yeah, I guess that does make sense. in kilometers per second at x parsecs away. Um, I like how it's measured in parsecs, of course. Parsecs are the best. Yeah, aren't they? Um. So so yeah, I, just, I think that's really cool that you take one over the Hubble constant and you get a time of about 14 billion years, which is how old we right. are fairly certain the universe is. Mm-hmm. That, um, that's interesting. Well, and it's it's not just like a coincidence. There's a like there's a reason. Um, I'm glad there's a reason. So right. Well, so the uh, the so how the velocity of things moving away. Like I was talking earlier about this this graph between redshift and the distance that these stars were at. Um, and so redshift is an indicator of the speed, uh, and the distance is the distance, and as you know, if you've taken any sort of physics, um, velocity is, is distance times time. I actually know and, that. I actually passed that exam. <laughs> so if you take that equation and you take the equation uh, obtained from Hubble's data, which equates velocity to the Hubble constant times the distance, um, then you see that... Um, oh, sorry. Did I say... Velocity is distance over time. Yeah. I think I might have said that it was distance times time. No, I don't don't remember either. Well, so, right. So, velocity is distance over time. Um, And Hubble's data um, relates velocity to the distance a star is away by the Hubble constant. And so, if you equate those two things, you get that the Hubble constant is 1 over t, where t is the age of the universe. Okay. So yeah, that makes sense. the Hubble constant. I'm looking at I'm looking at that graph right now. Um, which one? There's a graph on Wikipedia that's uh, kind of is right next to the thing you're explaining that the uh, Hubble constant is one over t, which is the time of the universe or time since the Big Bang, essentially. And so then, if um, page wait, what? Oh, it's the Hubble which expansion page. page. Oh, okay. And yeah. are you looking at the 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 velocity versus redshift? the redshift versus distance um average distance between galaxies and that's that has nothing to do with uh the graph or with um the age of the universe but um it's right next to it but i'm also reading that so like if q is about one half uh, i don't know what one half is but it would make the age of the universe two-thirds or two over yeah two-thirds h versus what uh it probably should be and so then it also says down below for that image that a closed universe with, uh, you know, with um, Q being really um, high, uh, you would have, or Q being zero, it would come to a big crunch. So everything would be getting closer together and its Hubble age would be young or, you know, tiny, I guess. And an open universe with its Q or something large or more than one it would expand forever and have an age that's closer to its Hubble age. And so apparently we have the non-zero delta, some character, that, and we, we apparently are inhabiting that kind of universe. And so we have a coincidentally very close to Hubble age, age of the universe. So you're looking at, uh, what, are you, what are you looking at here? So on the oh, uh, Hubble... Oh, ex- oh, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah, ultimate yeah. fate and age of the universe. Yeah, you, you read that oh. section. And translate. Um, that is not a Q. That is apparently Omega. Yeah. Okay. On the graph, that is Omega. Uh, the Q that you were talking about is the 
deceleration parameter, which I guess indicates um, the rate at which cosmic acceleration uh, is happening. Right, and that's kind of important. Right. Just, just, yeah, so it's like a scalar factor of the Hubble constant. and I prefer the, scalars. Um, <laughs> yes, we had this discussion. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, right, so um, the Q that you were talking about is not the same as that omega on the no, graph. No, it's not. It's, it looked like a Q from here, though. <laughs> yeah, well, right, so I, I don't know that I haven't... I mean, I, I understand that there's a mention about um, time independency, which indicate like would mean that the if Q was time independent, then the rate at which the Hubble constant was changing, which is <clears throat> the rate at which the expansion of the universe is changing, is constant. So it's accelerating at a constant, I don't know, like constantly accelerating. It's accelerating with the same magnitude i guess right the acceleration doesn't change i don't know how to like say that the the second derivative is a constant yes um, if, I, I... It's, if it's time independent and if it's time dependent then it could change mm-hmm. second derivative that's right yep mm-hmm. well I'm, I'm reading obler's paradox now it's kind of interesting too Olbers. Olbers. yeah i think yeah. so so if the universe were infinite static and filled with uniform distribution of stars, then every line of sight in the sky would end on a star, so then the sky would be as bright as the surface of a star. But obviously it's not. It's usually kind of dark out there. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you um so that that might mean that your universe I, isn't infinite. That I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, that doesn't really make sense to me. I don't know. I mean, like there is a stuff in out there that would interfere with yeah stuff would be the in the light. way right yeah. so like a star that's you know whatever a hundred thousand megaparsecs away obviously not as bright as the sun really so <laughs> um i don't know that just sounds kind of weird i'll have to read more about that see what i think i'm, I'm not going to read too much more into that one well let's see what else what we have here have you ever heard of um a buckyball I have. I actually have some in my room here somewhere. How do you just buy some? I mean, where do you get that? <laughs> well, I think the buckyballs you're referring to are a little bit different than the little magnets that I have. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, buckyballs, like little... Cause for, some re- for some reason, I remember hearing them, hearing about them, but I just never knew what they were. Um, well, I think that they're little carbon... They're, they're arrangements of carbon atoms in semi-spherical form. So they're kind of like the carbon nanotubes, but instead of a tube, they're a ball? Um, sort of, but only in the fact that they're made from carbon. Okay, then. They don't really have the same properties or anything. Well, I mean, I don't know. Except I guess being made out of carbon. Right. They're yeah. made out of carbon. They're strong, but like they don't behave in, in similar ways. Um, but yeah, so... Hmm, interesting. So uh, apparently, there's a new way to make buckyballs. And it's one of those things out in space. It's kind of interesting that you can uh, make these little things really easily, or they they just occur naturally, I guess. And they're they're being detected from a couple of stars, a binary system of stars, sixty five thousand light years away. I don't know how you can detect little things being formed, but I, I don't know. And um, 
uh, I guess they produce a unique infrared emission so that they can look at that and tell that a lot of them are being produced. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, that's in astronomy and stuff, that's how they determine the composition of, like, planets, planetary atmospheres and stuff, um, with spectroscopy, sort of the, the observed radiation from either the star or the star behind whatever you're observing. So what are these uh, buckyballs good for? I don't know. Um, they're an indication of high densities of carbon in certain areas of uh, the universe, which is one of the building blocks of life as we know it. So they're good for saying that there's a lot of carbon, um, so possibly a lot of carbon-based life. Hmm. Um, as far as like st- structural things, um, they're used in a lot of uh, technologies here on Earth. Um, uh, Google, Google celebrated the Buckyball's birthday last year, two years ago in 2010, with their uh, logo. They replaced an O with a Buckyball. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, um, yeah. So there's there's like practical applications of these things. Um, as far as structural sort of, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not like a solid, right, really. Right. It's more, it's a, a liquid mm-hmm. or like a goo. It's a goo. Um, at, at, uh, room temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the applications that I've heard of is in sort of a Kevlar substitute. Um, they have some, properties that are desirable i guess for like bulletproof vests uh yeah i I haven't i haven't heard too much about them but it is interesting that that complex structure because it's so uh, it's got like 60 carbon atoms i think right yeah Mm -hmm. regular it the term like the chemical term is like buckminster fullerene or something like that that's what it is chemistry name uh (laughs) and uh, so right so 60 atoms arranged in sort of a geodesic dome shape. That's actually where they get their name. Right. Um, from Buckminster Fuller, I think. Mm-hmm. So that right sense. Um, and uh, it's interesting to like to me to find out that that happens in space, that those uh, chemical compositions can like occur naturally. I mean, and obviously... That seems pretty rare. That's, yeah. Um, but, although less rare, apparently, than... We thought people thought mm-hmm. or, yeah thought originally um you know we would find more more stuff like this if we sent a perpendicular probe out <laughs> yeah we gotta call nasa yeah and make somebody give them more money right it always comes down to that mm-hmm. so this week and what is that class called discrete mathematics you you took that class i did you know you know how you only have like homework every like week or two weeks in, in your programming class now? Yeah. You know, I really don't like this homework every week thing in this class. I find it insanely obnoxious that <laughs> really? we have homework all the time. I have homework every week in, like, most of my classes. It's not acceptable. Well, yeah, I guess I would prefer it if I did. But... Well, anyway, we learned this. I, I, I thought it was kind of cool. I don't know if everybody else was impressed as I, impressed as I was, but it's the Euclidean algorithm. And mm-hmm. so... You can find the um, greatest common divisor, uh, or I like to say denominator, but I guess it is really divisor, of two integers. And that's, that's pretty cool. 
um, because it you know it can help you do um, RSA algorithms, which is one of my favorite things. So, do you know anything about the uh, Euclidean algorithm? Because if I explain it, I'll mess that up. Um, yeah, I'm I'm familiar with it. I know what it is. But you can explain it. Though. No, no, don't make me I've, explain. I've it. done much of explaining the show. Yeah, you. It, it's your show. You need to explain more. Well, okay, so um, the Euclidean algorithm is, uh, like you said, an algorithm for finding the greatest common denominator of two numbers. Um, And uh, it's based on sort of the observation that I would assume Euclid made because it's named after him. That makes uh, sense. That that, um, if you have a number... That if you have two numbers that are both divisible by this greatest common denominator, call it X, and you subtract one of them from the other, then the remainder is also divisible by said X. Um, And so the principle is to continue subtracting um, numbers from each other that are all all divisible by X because you get them, you derive them from the first two that you start with. Um, to find this x, and you end up with the when you get down to zero, you, you say so you have say so you have just to give an example like three hundred and twenty. Well, that's pretty easy. Say so you had uh, like three hundred and five and uh, fifty six. So you start by subtracting fifty six from three hundred and five, and you would get uh, two hundred forty nine. And then you subtract 56 again from 249, and you get <laughs> calculator. <laughs> uh-huh. um, <laughs> 193, and you subtract that again, you get 137, um, and uh, you keep going until... You get to down to zero, and then you know... Well, right. Hold on. You Right, you keep going until... You get a number. So I'm at uh, 81 and then minus 56 again. So then you get 25. Well, so now you subtract the smaller number from the larger number. So you have to switch. Mm-hmm. So you have 56 minus 25. You end up with 31. And then you do um, 31 minus 25. You end up with 6. And then you do 25 minus 6 uh, until you get down to 1. Wait. <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. Oh, I don't know what I did. I, Man, I, you can just, uh, I think I, I think you um, missed uh, a number there. Um, Probably. I'm, I'm not sure what you did either. But basically, you you have two um, two numbers, two integers, and they can be fairly large. You know, they could be anything, and so you can find out what uh, two, what number can what what the largest number is. Both of their uh, both of those integers can be factorized into. So it's kind of like prime factorization and what the most common largest factor is, of course. Oh, right, which just means that their greatest common denominator is 1. Yeah. So, so that uh, does make sense. But, you, but usually you don't get that when you get an example. Where did you just pull those numbers out of the if thin air, or did you take an example? Yeah. Oh, that's your problem. You stop doing that. Yeah. You mean Wikipedia is there for I wanted to be original. Oh, no, originality. <laughs> we don't do that here. Um. But but so I saw this algorithm, you know, in, in the class the other day, and I was quite quite intrigued with it because it, it, you know you don't you don't learn this in AP Computer Science, and uh, you know it's it's pretty cool. 
because I always I always hated finding greatest common divisors, you know, like by hand because that's actual work. I don't do mm-hmm. that. <laughs> yeah, so, you could. So I write a cool. little program for that. And oh. so uh, Wikipedia actually conveniently has this this little program, and it's actually just one little function. So while not b t equals b, and then b equals a mod b, and then a equals t, and then you just keep doing that oh, until God. temp data storage. Well, is that a problem? Uh, I guess not. Good. But sort of. Why? It's one integer. But temp, I don't know. Dummy variables, temporary variables are just waste of space. Yeah, I'm wondering, I kind of actually wondering now why they did that. I don't know. Anyways. Oh. Um. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean. I had to read the code. Yeah. That's because they're they're reassigning the B variable. Right. No, I mean, like, I, I get it. I just don't like dummy variables. It's fine. Like, it's okay. Yeah, okay. It's good for you. Moving on from criticizing Wikipedia's code. I probably shouldn't do. <laughs> Their code, is, code I'm sure, is better than... They, they have a recursive one, too. It's uh, if b equals zero, return a. Otherwise, return the recursion version of input b, a mod b. Right. So the way that they're doing it with this modulus function um, is instead of subtracting... Well, it, it's essentially subtracting one by one. Right, right. Uh, the, but it gives you the remainder in like one step instead of just subtracting it, one mm-hmm. time, which is quicker. Makes sense. Um, yeah, that is that is an interesting interesting algorithm. Yeah, so I thought I thought this, and you know, this kind of stuff is what I actually like about computer science, not the proofs that we do traditionally that make no sense. Well, yeah, you learn some of this stuff in that discrete mathematics. I, I absolutely despise proofs. How else would you know that anything is true? Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, that's just wrong with society, right? No, it's not. I think this is perfectly acceptable. We worry about too many things that are to accept things without proof. Yeah. Uh, mm. No, you don't. Um, you don't need you know logical proof. You just need to know if something is right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm gonna pretend that that made sense. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so. Okay. Um. Some other news-related things. I was doing my astrophysics homework the other day, and I wanted to um, try using the uh, symbol for the sun. It was like a little circle with a dot in it mm-hmm. on Wolfram Alpha so that I could type in, instead of having to type out solar mass every time, I could type in M and then click the little dot, and it would give me solar mass. Um However, in a decision that really doesn't make any sense to me, uh, if you type in M with a little dot, it gives you the distance from the sun to the earth in meters. I don't know, like, whenever you write M sub little dot with a circle with little dot in it, it means mass of the sun. I don't know where they got that from. Hmm. But, Isn't that um, like an astronomical unit then? It, yeah, so like that is a lot weird. of times stellar mass is measured in solar masses, like however many times. Times more massive it is in the sun, right? Um, or same with like luminosity, radius, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like sort of a side note. The actual story, I think, is that the extended keyboard that Wolfram Alpha provides also has numerous like Greek letters representing like functions. Like um, one of them in particular is uh, psi, which is the 
Greek letter used to represent the Schrodinger equation that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And so since we had just started studying this in, in my physics class, uh, I went to see if I could like click on that. And for every little thing in the keyboard, there's some alt text that pops up to like let you know what it is. Um, like pi symbol has a little word box underneath it that says pi. Like same way you mouse over a link and it sometimes tells you where it's going to go or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, or an image has alt text when it doesn't display. Right. Uh, and so I put a click on psi, and there's the lowercase and the capital version of most of these Greek letters, and capital psi is mislabeled as capital chi, which I think is odd. So they really they really messed up a Greek letter, huh? Yeah, I don't. I just I don't understand how they do that. So uh, how how similar are the symbols? It's not really. Capital me, capital uh, I, I is a capital X, and capital Psi is like a a trident looking thing. Uh, I've got my Wikipedia open, and so it's well, what are the letters again? Chi is C H I, and Psi is P S I. Mm. You know, I saw. You know, I'm. I this is really sad, but I saw. I'm looking through the letters for the things you just told me, and I'm trying to go through them in alphabetical order, and it's like, you know, this isn't working. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, so Kai, it looks like the capital version is just an X, essentially. Yeah. And the lowercase version is like a sort of a cursive elongated X. Yes. Um, and then Psi, which is the letter I was looking for, is like a trident. Lowercase and uppercase versions look pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. It's just like bigger and written higher up on the line. But I just, I don't know, it seemed odd to me that those two got... So has it been uh, fixed yet? No. You know, I sent them an email like three days ago. Well, they'll never respond. I know they will. You know, I I, one time, though, I did I did send some feedback, and they actually did respond thanking me for the feedback, but I, I'm sure they didn't do anything with it. Right. Well, I mean, like, I got a response thanking me for feedback, but it was an automated response, and it makes me feel like nobody actually read email. Oh, that's de definitely nobody read it. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, anyways, enough of ranting about that. Uh, ranting is uh, what uh, we do here. Once it draws the viewers. <laughs> it's good. So hmm. let's see. Speaking, we were talking about uh, measuring solar masses, things like that. Um, I believe that you have something to say about measuring. Yes, and so I um, what 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 do I want to say about this? So when you learn metric, the better of all of the measuring systems out there, you 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 wonder what was going on when they did this because. What what is the standard form of measuring like on a ruler, right? What mm -hmm. is what is the most what is the standard length measurement? A meter. Okay, a meter. So, in a um on a scale, what is the standard weight measurement? Gram or Yeah, grams. I mean like it depends what size scale you're using, like a person scale is kilograms, like But a but in in in, in, in SI in SI right? land or in just regular metric land, it's it's going to be just a gram. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what is that? What is for? I don't even know what liters are used for. Nobody does that. Um, I I don't I don't think liters are used for like anything, are they? I don't think so. I've, I've never seen anything actually measured in liters before. Um, well, it's equal to a thousand cubic centimeters. I don't know. I mean, like usually. I guess it's used for chemistry and stuff, but. Well, yeah, but usually volume, I think. Yeah. For most things, is expressed in like. A meters, real, centimeters cubed, meters cubed. A real something. unit? Yeah. Well, yeah. 
right leader is just like a drive unit, it's just like a multiple of some other stuff. So one my problem with um with these uh units is that when you look at a gram and then you look at a meter, they're two different. I, okay, so, so what do you mean by that? So a gram is incredibly tiny. It weighs almost nothing and anything of a gram is really small. And you could take a meter of something, it's huge. So the physical size of what is normally a gram and normally a meter, I know it's kind of arbitrary, but the, the units are too inconsistent, like the base units. So for me, it makes more sense to make the base unit of length or measurement, you know, in 2D, to be like centimeters or something. Because well, centimeters and grams are really similar. So, I mean, how, how would you sort of, I mean, I guess... The, the, but the scale, I mean, like the, comparing the scale of a, a distance measurement to the scale of a mass measurement seems, I don't know. Yeah, like I, it doesn't I, actually. Like I know, it's, I know it is arbitrary, but it just—it's always bothered me that they're. It's, right. It, so a meter is just too big. Well, unless you like look at it on the scale of like the Earth. I'm looking at the scale as I'm like walking two meters, or I'm walking two feet. Like it's right. too big. So, Say, like, what is your arm, like, a meter long or something? Right. About, yeah, something right? like that. So then a gram should just be, like, if you cut off your arm, however much <laughs> yeah, it weighs. Yeah, exactly. And that's ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Who would want to cut off their arm? To um, find out. <laughs> <laughs> to find out what a gram is. <laughs> um, right. Well, yeah. No, I, I agree. And I've had some experience with this, actually, in uh, my astrophysics class because... According to my professor, uh, real astrophysicists use CGS units, which is centimeter grams seconds, uh, whereas normal physics usually is in terms of meters, kilograms in seconds, so that's MKS units. Um, and so it's really confusing because all of the like derived units, like newtons, which is like one... Uh, God, why I should, I should know this. What is uh, I, w- I wouldn't worry about it too much. Well, it's like uh, meters, kilograms squared per second or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, meters, kilograms squared per second. Um, or m- meters, kilograms per second squared, rather. Uh, and then there's, uh, like, energy joules is in terms of uh, um, something similar. I don't know, some other units. Uh, well, and it's, so, so they're all, like, derived units. Yeah. Um, and then... All, so all those things they're used to, a newton, a joule, a watt, things like that, mm-hmm. you go into CGS, and they're all different because they're derived from different base units. Right. So instead of a joule, you have, say, an erg. Or oh, an erg. You have an erg per second. I, yeah, a, I remember you telling me about you, this. Right. And instead of a newton, you have a dime. Okay, that's, that's not acceptable. There's a there's a term for acceleration called a gal. I don't I don't even know. So why did, why did they do, choose to do this? Uh, I don't know. Doesn't like I don't get it. I mean, well, there's got to be reasons. Uh, because somebody decided to start doing it that way, and then everybody else thought that they would be more cool, like more cool. By <laughs> right, it would be more professional astrophysicists or something by like doing it the same way. I don't know. Or, or, or maybe I, they're like me and they wanted realistic base units. But when you're talking about, like, the radius of a sun in centimeters, that why? is really accurate. It's, but it's not more accurate. It it's, is. It's making more accurate. It just means that you need less powers of 10 for your scientific notation. That's even better. Uh, 
Well, I mean, more powers of 10. Sorry. That's even worse. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I understand your pain. I feel like it would be a lot easier if everybody just decided to use the same units for well, everything. Well, like, so look at meters compared to kilograms then. So if, if, if you don't agree with the grams to meters, meters to kilograms are even worse because a kilogram is a little bit less than a mile and a meter... Wait, 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 what? <laughs> no, I mean, a kilogram is, you know, like, how many pounds is that? 3.3? 2.2? Uh, 2. 2. 2. So a meter, you know, is uh, still, you know... 2.2. Lo- yeah, right. So a meter is uh, a little bit more than a yard, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so 2.2 pounds and a yard, oh, and that sounds reasonable. But then, you know, like, those grams are just getting in the way. Like, a gram is too small... And a kilogram is too big for what a meter is. I don't know. Kilogram makes sense. Like I was talking about earlier, you cut your arm off, probably weighs a couple of kilograms. Okay. Ma- yeah. Okay. So, but then you just but the- everything in terms of arms. Okay. I, I guess we'll. I guess I'll do that then. <laughs> I, I just don't. Uh, I don't do that too often. I don't. I don't like my base units to be so different. Well, I, I don't know. Take it up with the people that came up with them hundred years ago. Whatever. Well, a couple hundred years ago, I think. I'm going to blame the French. <laughs> Probably is their fault. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, them and their SI units. Yeah, well, I think they're in charge of, like, there's, like, an SI vault or something that has, like, SI standard... Uh, I'm serious. The, I know. There's, like, the International Bureau of Weights and Measurements. They have, a, like, a, a thing that weighs exactly a kilogram, like, according to them. That's how a kilogram is defined. Um you know, we we say the you know, know we say SI units, but it's actually the international system of units. That's so backwards. But it's in French. It's system international. Or something no, like nothing important should be done in anything but English. <laughs> Once again, take that up with the French. If I have something, so a differing opinion on the matter. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they would think that, but I don't care. So. The about, base unit should not be kilograms. I hate SI. It's unacceptable. Okay. So, right. So I'm reading the Wikipedia page because I just wanted... I went there to figure out the name of that place. Um, and apparently the kilogram is the, the... Not only is it the only SI base unit with a prefix as part of its name, so it, like a kilogram... Which is ridiculous. A ...base unit instead yeah. of a gram base mm-hmm. unit. Um, and it is also the only uh si unit that is still directly defined by an artifact yeah which, like some random thing that somebody decided a while ago mm-hmm. which happens to be the, the mass of one liter of water at standard temperature and pressure um i thought they had some uh some orb in some vault somewhere some of, some, some chunk of metal that happened to weigh one perfect kilogram yeah they do that's okay. in the International Bureau of Weights and Measurements. Okay. Right, so it's it's defined by, like, the weight of water at standard temperature pressure, which is, like, some random thing because standard temperature pressure is based on our Earth atmosphere. Um, and Well, it really should other, be... Wait, is kilogram? Uh, hmm, I don't know. Well, right, so all of the other... Um, Why does the weight of something change with temperature and pressure? Well, it, it, the weight doesn't change with temperature and pressure, but the kilogram is defined as the mass of one liter of water. So oh, great. The volume That's even so, worse. What's a liter, then? Well, a liter is 
a, a thousand centimeters cube. Oh my gosh! This see this but, how how recursive and ho- how problematic this is. The rest of them make sense though. Yeah, the rest of them uh, do make sense, except moles. Right. How about well, really, moles make sense because yeah, no, they do. No, they don't. Moles make right. Well, but yeah, they do. No, they because don't. A mole just some number of particles, uh, which is Avogadro's number, and it's uh, Avogadro's constant, like six point zero two two times ten to the twenty third. Yes. Uh, particles in a mole and that's derived from some things um i don't know it's derived from like some it's a fundamental constant like it's not arbitrary as far as somebody like took a handful of sand and like counted them and decided it was that is unacceptable uh, no so, it's, so what do you use that for avogadro's number yeah um well def- finding out how many particles make up a mole i mean Chemistry a lot of the times is is done like with molar masses. So to get the mass of a, a, a single atom, you divide by the number of particles in a mole. Or say you wanted to um, figure out uh, uh, the um, ideal gas law is like in terms of it shouldn't uh, be in terms of that because it's nonsense. Well, it's some well, no. ra- it's some random number. It's not random. It's the number of particles in a twelfth of a gallon of carbon twelve. No, 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 definitely not a gallon. No, okay. The Avogadro constant is like determined from uh, oh twelve twelve grams of pure carbon twelve. Right? Why? Because uh, that makes sense. Why? That is uh, well, it's like the average weight of each part of the carbon no 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 there's no rationalizing that can make this make sense because it's useless why don't you just say how many particles are in the the thing you're using it's you don't have to do all this mole stuff because uh, chemistry uses moles you know just because it they do that doesn't mean we have to agree with them Right, but would you want to write out six point zero two two one four one seven nine times ten to the twenty third after everything instead of just writing like one? I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't write that number because that number is totally arbitrary and nothing should be in terms of that. Like, well, unless like, you have like, like tw- all of like twelve grams. What does twelve grams have to do with anything? Because it's carbon twelve. Yeah. So. So it's twelve grams. <laughs> okay. I I thought carbon twelve had something to do with uh, the isotope uh, the the electrons or I mean the neutrons. Uh, right. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The atomic mass. Is yeah. By that. Right. Okay. That's weird. So. Okay. So. I, maybe we'll cease with the that particular one. How about how about a different one then? A different, a different unit. Yeah. How about a different one now? So you well, know. Let's see talk about it. um i i have i've got a lot of these all right i've gone for, i've gone through so many science classes and i just don't agree so i need to go find my electrons hold on this will take a second they're flying around okay <laughs> so you know um the mass of an electron yep what is it um it's like one point uh no just wait hold on no this one uh well, it shouldn't be measured Nine, in volts. One, I can tell you that much. One, oh, God. Okay. Get, get to that in a second. 
I mean, the mass of an electron is like, like one point or nine point one one times ten to the negative thirty first. Yeah, uh, or something. I think it's something like that. I know ten to the thirty first. I don't know the numbers in front. Well, from alpha, uh, yeah, nine point one one times ten to the negative thirty first kilograms. Uh, which, what do you have an issue with that? I remember. Um, except that it's in kilograms. No, that's fine. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So, so you know, atomic, um, you know, the little atomic mass things, right? Yeah, atomic or mass unit. Yeah, right. Unit. AMU. Okay. Wait, why don't we have a page on that here? Uh, atomic mass unit. Google. Okay. Oh, relationship to SI. I have to read that section first. Oh no, it has something to do with the number of moles. No, it doesn't. Well. Atomic mass, atomic mass unit. The mole is the amount of substance, blah, 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 and 12 grams of carbon. The mole is used, blah, blah, blah. Okay, it actually doesn't. But why does oh, it say it does? It, it's just the... Um, oh, that's, like, that's, a pre- that's a pretty loose relationship. I mean, oh, one no. mole equals 12 grams. That's not a really, you know... You talk, One mole does not equal 12 grams. It depends what you're doing. That's even worse. Ah, no, okay. Forget about the mole. Moving on. Yeah, okay. Okay, so, so you know oh. how, um, what does one, um, hydrogen weigh? Uh, it's like 1.001 or something atomic mass unit. Uh, do you think Wikipedia would have that, you know, like, right up there on the page? Right, so atomic mass weight, 1.007947. Right. Where does all of the point stuff come from? Well, because, uh, an atomic mass unit is defined as one twelfth of the weight of carbon twelve, which was done. I would assume it would make sense to me to do it that way because then you're getting sort of an average weight of each uh, subatomic particle in a nucleus. Because I, have, I, I have a better idea. It's negligible. Why don't we just make everything weigh in terms of hydrogen? Why not carbon? Because carbon isn't the smallest, right. greatest denominator. Well, but hydrogen is one proton. And yeah, one. Yeah, and yeah. so what about neutrons? Don't have to worry about it. W- why not? Uh, don't they weigh the same? No. Well, that's a problem, too. Protons and neutrons do not weigh the same. Well, okay, take that off of the universe. I, don't, I have nothing to say to that. What? <laughs> the fact that neutrons and protons don't weigh the same. So I was going to type in neutrons, and I typed in negative. And it's like, no, they're neutral. <laughs> um... <laughs> This is fun. I like this. Neutrons. How much does a neutron weigh? Well, apparently they're made up of a baryon quark. Or no, I mean one up quark and two down quarks. Uh, you know, you know the, the the section on neutrons don't have their their stuff in terms of atomic mass units. Yeah, it does. Wow. Uh, it's like one point zero zero eight or something. Oh, you mean that little U is an atomic mass unit? Oh, well, okay then. Yeah. And then a proton is like one point zero zero seven, and What's then. It? The reason that those are larger than one twelfth of the mass of a carbon atom, which would make sense, you'd expect it to be exactly one twelfth, approximately, and they're both larger than that because for some reason, when they're like they group together, they have like less total mass than each individual because there's like some ener- some of that mass right. is converted to binding energy. I like, like my things to be divisible stronger. by one. I mean, there's just no way that it can be right unless it's just one. <laughs> Like it cannot be. Say it, is. it cannot be a decimal. 
<laughs> like, hydrogen uh, should not weigh a decimal. Like, one proton should not be a fraction of any other number. It should just be well, one. But why proton? Why not neutron? Why not electron? They need why to not? be in terms of each other. Otherwise, they're wrong. Like, we need to get to the smallest thing, call but it one. Have, but then you would have a proton that weighs, like, 1.00000001 neutrons. And then, what is that? No, no, no. No, no. We need to get to the smallest thing, call it one, and then everything else needs to be in terms of that. Right, but then every time we find a new smallest thing, we have to, like, figure out the We need to pick one. We can change that... every 20 years. It's not that hard. But it is. Haven't you seen the struggle of the United States not switching to metric units? That's because they printed it on paper. If everything is just, you know, variable on uh, some computer somewhere, it's not a problem. <laughs> well, hopefully you run the country one day, right? I, I hope so, because <laughs> I am changing the standard <laughs> atomic weight of hydrogen and everything else. Because this is ridiculous. <laughs> changing the atomic weight of hydrogen. Good luck. Uh, it's going to be one when I'm done with it. <laughs> Oh, I thought you meant you're just going to change the weight of hydrogen. No, it's just we're going to just call it one. Right. So you're changing the atomic mass unit. Right. Not the no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> and I'm going to delete moles. <laughs> what are you going to replace it with? Nothing. It doesn't need to be there. I'm, I'm going to find a reason next episode. I'm going to come okay. back. Okay. Please, please we'll find talk. a reason because I I have struggled with the concept of moles since it was introduced in Apichem, and for me it's completely pointless. Okay, I'll let you know when I figure something out. I hope you do, because I, I, I need to move on with my life, and I can't do this until I get around <laughs> moles. It's preventing me from achieving happiness. It's okay. ruining my zen. Hmm. So, Let's see. Well, here's a reason. Just reading the like, third, fourth paragraph of, third paragraph of Wikipedia says, uh, the number of mole, molecules in a mole is defined so that the mass of one mole in grams is exactly equal to the substance's mean molecular weight, um, which this property considerably simplifies many chemical and physical computations because then you can express the weight of a mole in just the mean molecular weight. What is the, what is the mean molecular weight? What is that? Uh, mean molecular weight is the molecular mass which is the mass of something in atomic mass units. Mm, that didn't help. Try again. The, didn't, wait, try again what? Explaining it or coming up with a good reason? that good, I try, Coming up with a good reason. That was pretty good. I don't know about that. All right, I'll try again. Okay. So uh, do we have anything else to talk about? No, I think we were actually pretty good today. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. Um, did you know October 23rd is called Mole Day? I did not. I didn't tell. I have a calendar of these things. So, so, um, the date is derived from Avogadro's number, which is approximately 6.002 times 10 to the 23rd. It officially starts at 6.02 a.m. and ends at 6.02 p.m. on October 23rd. Right. 10.23 makes sense. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. That's kind of cool. I didn't, I didn't know that was a holiday. Nobody celebrates that. Well, so, let's see, I have this uh, holiday that I made of, like, scientific calendars. So, you know, what, um, uh, Pi Day is coming up uh, yeah. in a few weeks. March 14th. Yeah, you know, I don't celebrate Pi Day. I know. I'm I'm fully Tau. Tau is too Pi, and I I fully support the Tau movement. It, it makes so much yeah. more sense than... Are you going to put a link to their page in the... Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make every link in the show notes just go to Tau. So... It does make sense in some, in like a lot of things, but in other things it doesn't. 
because. Uh, um. Let's see. Here, I've I've got one for you. Have you ever heard of epsilon not? Um, epsilon not. Yeah, it's um, in, it's the vacuum permittivity constant. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so it is one over four pi. Oh wait, wait. What is that? That's that's not it. Um, hold on. I'll do some calculations. No, no. This is um. You're talking about the Coulomb constant. Yeah, that's which the k one thing. One over four times. Yeah. One over four what, pi what, times. What uh, what variable is that? Oh look, it's Farad's again. Oh no, did you hear something? Yeah. Where's what constant is that? Coulomb's constant. Yeah. Hmm. I need um. Is that that's k right? Uh yeah. But okay. It's usually a Boltzmann constant. So you should just type in Coulomb constant. Well, I just found a k. I mean, it's represented it's on paper as k. Uh, well, so is the Coulomb or the Boltzmann constant. So, well, no, epsilon naught is the other one. What? Never mind. Okay. Oh, epsilon naught is a, another constant. Yeah. No, I'm I'm saying that K is used for both the Coulomb constant and the Boltzmann constant. I only know one of them, and I, I guess mean, like, I guess electromagnetism yeah. classes only use one of them. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, Whatever. so so K the the constant the Coulomb's law constant. Coulomb's constant. It's one over four pi epsilon naught. Now, if we didn't use pi as you know what we do now, if we said pi, you know, if that was t- in terms of tau, it would be one half epsilon naught instead of this four. I'm just saying, you know, that matches, you know, with like the kinetic energy formula and like every uh, bad other example. Bad example. Why? Use it because that one is like sort of, but then it would just be like one over two tau epsilon naught, which doesn't sound as good. Who I think the one you're looking for. Good. The one you're looking for is the area of a circle. So, um, what is that? Um, um, when know. right, so when you look at like kinetic energy of something, it's one half mv squared. You look at the um, kinetic energy of uh, or like the like spring constants stuff like that. You like one half kx squared. Right, right, right. Um, and then you look at like say the area of a circle, and you get pi r squared. Mm-hmm. Well, so you define tau to be 2 pi, then you could write it as 1 half tau r squared, which sort of makes sense, but it's an area, not, not a force. So I don't, I, I'm not like a fan of that one. I don't know. Um, I, I want, one I want thing, tau. Right. One thing that I think would be cool for is that um, in like astrophysics and quantum physics, we've been using the reduced Planck's constant, There's H bar. Reduce, reduce Planck's constant? Yeah, which is um, the... Planck's constant divided by 2 pi. So it would oh, just great. be h over tau instead of h over 2 pi, which would be kind of cool. Which Although would make it's still, sense. But it's still h bar because yeah. that's just what you write. So right. it really doesn't matter what no, you No, but in calculations, you know, it makes sense. But so is multiplying pi by 2. Not when you have a unit circle and none of the circles are actually in terms of, oh, look, 2 pi. Oh, that's a whole circle. Oh, look, pi, that's half a circle. That's ridiculous. Half a pi or half a circle constant should just be half a circle. Yeah, but pi is not. No, but pi is like defined as the ratio of the diameter to circumference. It shouldn't be. Well, but I mean, like, why is radius? Because because everything uses the radius diameter, but so is the diameter is twice the radius. Yeah, but then you have to do all this radius. calculation. You have to divide first and then multiply. We could just multiply. Right, you could just multiply the diameter times pi instead of dividing the diameter by two to get the radius, and then multiplying by two pi. Sounds better. So jetpacks. I mean pi. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, nobody are knows. You, so if you uh, are still a fan of the metric system after 
Ryan's vicious personal assaults, um, <laughs> you can celebrate it. It's actually a National Metric Week. Really? Um, which is just before Mole Day. It starts on October 7th. Okay. And goes through October 15th. Oh, that sounds good. Uh, National Metric Day. Uh, How did they derive that? How did they pick the, that week? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh. Uh, I like when there's usually, uh, when you know, when there's a story behind these things. Yeah, like, is, is, there, a, is there a Plank holiday? See, um, H. There should be. There should be. Um, hmm. Hmm. Well, you could, we could do, um, 4.13 in the afternoon and, uh, 10, October 15th for... Wait, where are you for? Um, uh, if you um, measure Planck's constant in electron volts times seconds. Oh, okay. I like yeah. how you say, oh, okay, as if you know that's okay and acceptable. Well, it is. Oh, did we not talk about this masses energy thing? No, no, we did not talk about that. Would you like to? Uh, do we have time today, or should we save it for um, next hold time? Hold on, let me, let me take a look. My computer's asleep. Um, hmm. Monitors are slow. Not, a, not enough electron volts. Um, yeah, we could talk about it quick. All right. So, what is, explain your your Kavit? Uh, okay. Cop- so, let's say you have some mass, right? Now, yeah. would you like to measure your mass in electron volts? Why don't you tell everybody what a volt is first? Because uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to explain that one. Um. Well, a volt is the uh, is it a measurement of potential difference? Um. Which. Uh, that that is, is correct. It's yeah. Uh, it's like. Well, I don't even know like what what's it what it's in terms of. I mean, I know that. Um, uh, well, it's kind of in terms of joules and coulombs, but yeah, don't right. Tell so potential difference is uh, um, joule, right? Joule, okay. Like Ryan said, joules per coulombs. So uh, I don't I, like I don't know what what is your question? <laughs> I don't even know anymore. Okay, so um, why would you ever measure something? That has a mass in terms of this mystical electron volt. Okay, so an electron volt is not a volt. There are two different things. Despite it an, having the word volt in its name. Right, okay, but it's also got the word electron in its name. So it's an so, electron. No, it's not an electron. Uh, um, so it's neither it of is, the two things that its name is made out of. <laughs> it, well, right, because it's made out of two things. Unacceptable. It, okay, so, an, an electron volt is the volt, which is one joule per coulomb, multiplied by the coulomb or the the electron charge in units of coulombs. Right. Which would give you elementary charge times one volt, which is where the symbol EV comes from, electron volt. Um, so the names make sense when you look at it that way. I think. Uh, and so one. Electron volt is equal to the electron charge number of joules um, when you work that out. And so the the reason that mass is measured in electron volts for certain things um, is because Einstein in the 1940s or something came up with his famous E equals mc squared relation equating um, the energy of a particle to its rest mass times the speed of light squared. Um, and so this gives us a way to represent uh, the mass of a particle in terms of its total energy. Why would you ever want to do that? 
because oftentimes you want to know the total energy of the particle, and so you just write it as such instead of writing the mass and then converting it into the total energy when you need to. So say that you have an electron that has a certain amount of energy, which is determined by its rest energy, which is that E equals mc squared, um, plus its kinetic energy, and you want to find out the... Uh, let's see, where am I going with this? Um, where yeah. have we gone anywhere with any of this? <laughs> well, so, and you're given, say, the velocity of the electron, and you want to find, like, its total energy, so you take mc squared and add one-half mv squared to the kinetic energy, and then you get the total energy. So if you just measured the mass in uh, electron volts instead, then, or, well, electron volts per c squared. Okay, okay, so here's here's a good one. So the proton has a mass of 0.38 giga electron volts divided by c squared. Okay. The pro- okay. That number should be one, first of all. It should be an integer. Okay, I mean, maybe when I said one, I meant integer. It should be a whole number. It should no more decimals, no more fractions. Anyway, electron volts. That, that whole thing should just be its own unit. But whatever. It is. No, it's not. It's an electron volt. It should not be anything previously. What? You know, we don't we don't say like newton meters. We just say. I don't even know what is the unit of work. Joules. Yeah, that's what we say. Yeah, yeah, we say joules. That's right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, for some reason in uh, physics one, we never talked about joules, even though we did work all the time. Huh. I don't know know either. Um, Maybe they're just messing with me. Maybe all conspiracy. Well, I think I think it is at this point. (laughs) Um. So, right. So. What are you? What? That's it. Is there no, no, a question no, in that last no, statement? No, there's, there's nothing. Okay. Sounds good. Also, you can so, re- you can represent electron volts in terms of Kelvin. That's kind of interesting. Can represent electron volts in terms of Kelvin? Apparently, in certain fields such as plasma physics, it's convenient to use the electron volt as a unit of temperature, because it, w- it just wasn't good enough to use electron volts as the unit of everything else. So oh, the conversion. The... No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does, because you divide by the Boltzmann constant, and then you get temperature. Oh, like, dividing by the Boltzmann constant makes it right. Well, but, okay, so this is all, all like, about dimensional analysis. And Which stuff, I also so you, hate. But it makes so much sense. Except when it is on paper and you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> well, I, I, have, I have a sheet of paper for you, then, that explains it, so that you will know what you're doing. That'd be really I, handy. My uh, physics 3 professor last semester gave us this handout on dimensional analysis and it's actually uh, it does a pretty good job in explaining you how know, it works you know i can uh, i can divide it. any number by the rampersite constant and get the right answer <laughs> god we gotta like make wikipedia page and you know what the rampersite constant is one yes <laughs> it is definitely one <laughs> or if it's not one it is a whole integer oh, okay some arbitrary full integer yeah, that's so, this. So what, what? What you were saying about the, um, like the say the mass of a proton and a neutron, and you want the mass of a proton to be a whole number. I would prefer that. Thank you. So 
Well, so if you wanted the mass of a neutron to also be a whole number, then your whole numbers would be like one quadrillion and eight and like one quadrillion and seven. They don't have like, to be. But that's how like close the, the, the mass of a proton is like one quadrillion and eight over one quadrillion and seven. That's because we're using. That's because we're doing all of this stuff with these these sick meters and kilogram things. This is this is separate from the units. This is just the ratio of masses is like one quadrillion and eight to one quadrillion and seven. I think if I spend enough time in a basement somewhere, I can figure it out. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's good. I think it's it's really important to do this. It will revolutionize physics. I hope so. Will it get us to Mars or the Moon? No, it'll make everything so much easier. It'll make it'll make the computations make for NASA cheaper. Computations for NASA cheaper. I don't know. Might use more processing power. No, integers are better. It, you can do much more accurate computation with integers than floating point. That's true, but then you need like really large integers to not have decimals. You don't like, need decimals. Well, but then you would have like one quadrillion and. Like I said, I'm going to make it work. Okay. Um, well, yes. like a plan. Uh, let's see. Let me let me go look up coulombs. I've got a. So I type in coulombs and I get clouds. No. Coulombs. I don't know how that. Well, I think I missed an O. Yeah. There we go. Oh, I like I like the coulomb. Go to go to the uh, Wikipedia page on coulomb. I like it. One coulomb equals one ampere per second. Or times one second. That is so beautiful. Right, but and then and then I, and like then I, amps, and it's a derived unit. And then, so. I, and then I go over there, look at the side, and it's like no, the the atomic units. Now that doesn't even make sense. What is that even? What? Um, hold on. Let me find out what this E is. So elementary char- charge electron. Oh, that makes sense. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I've got to tell you that I don't like that either. Because it's in coulombs. No, because the elementary of a charge isn't a whole number. It's a partial. It's a fraction. It's a decimal. Right, because it's represented in coulombs. This all needs it's, to be fixed. The, right. Well, so the the elementary charge, when in units of elementary charge, is one. Like it cannot possibly be right, unless it is an integer. <laughs> uh, you sound like. Uh, let's see. What's his name? Like Bill O'Reilly? Maybe. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Interesting side note. I don't know if you heard about this. Um, so Bill O'Reilly was like doing an interview with Stephen Colbert. Yeah. And he, like some debate about uh, like how, I don't know how Bill O'Reilly brought this up. He was like something about uh, the, oh, whenever he's talking about being religious he says um the tide goes in the tide comes out every day and it doesn't change and there's no way to explain that except for god and then right so neil degrasse tyson comes on stephen colbert's show and says actually i can't explain that and so now there's this running joke that neil degrasse tyson is god and oh that's so good yeah i just thought that you sounded like there's a very bill o'reilly-esque argument Everything can only things can only be right if they're in integers. No, I mean, I mean, you know, fine, they can be right now, but it's not. It doesn't look good. Not later. 
I mean, it needs to look way better. You know, if you're going to be making the units any way you want, you might as well make them look really well made. This is why you just do math instead of physics. Uh, yes, I agree. I, I mean, in, in math, which I'm much better in than physics, I have no idea what's going on in physics. In math, it's great because you just write down numbers. You don't have to think about it. And it's all just a big process. Right, which is why I do math. So. Yeah, my favorite. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I've been doing some pretty terrible... Um, um, integration, uh, what do you call that stuff? Uh, differential equations? Horrible stuff. Yeah. It, it is pretty much the same as just regular integration, but it, it's a lot more steps. Now, you know, what my, you know what my least favorite type of integration is? Partial fraction uh, integration. Oh, yeah, partial fractions are a so lot you, of work. Do you, know, do you know why it's my least favorite? Because mm, it's a lot of work? No. And you don't do that? No, no, no. No, the, the most annoying part of partial fractions is that I have to do simple multiplication in addition to find the constants, A, B, and whatever thing, whatever else I have. If I didn't have to do all of that addition and multiplication and subtraction sometimes, it'd be so easy. That is like the most ridiculous complaint about math that I think I've ever heard. <laughs> You have to understand. I have to do too much addition and subtraction in my calculus course. Okay, but you have to understand that when I have to do addition or subtraction in my head, that is actually times being like that is thinking time. Do you have a calculator? No, no. This is on the um, the little test thing. The you know that thing I had to give you that um, ten question thirty minute thing. Mm. Yeah, no calculators on that one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without, without, without a calculator, there's no hope for addition or subtraction and with any precision. I mean, it could be like 25 off. <laughs> 1 minus 2? Ah, 36. <laughs> but but it's not it's not 36.859 times 10 to the 23rd. It's just 36. <laughs> At least I'm not adding some insane decimals to it. <laughs> okay. This is true. <laughs> But you know what? If I ever have a test again and I don't know the answer, I'm just going to write some constant and some uh, some stuff. Remember that constant? Yeah, you know that was pioneered in AP Chem. It yep. served us well. I've heard heard stories of its power, success. Um, I, I haven't heard those stories. No, not success, just power. Okay, just power in joules. Yeah, in coulombs. Uh, all right. Well, so I think d- that's all we have. Yeah, so I, th- I think this is a good time to wrap this up. Yeah, that, that was a, little, a lot of fun, Sam. Where can uh, where yeah. can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me at Twitter. Uh, I haven't I haven't really been on lately, but um, you maybe should, once you in should, a while. You should go on Twitter okay. more. It's a lot of fun. You have a real phone. You can actually tweet in real time. Yeah, but I I don't have anything to say usually in 140 characters or less. I, th- I think so. I think you can find something that you want to say. I'm pretty sure you can do it. If I can do it, you people. can do. It. If if I can do it, you, you can do it. Yeah, that's true. I guess if you want to. Um, Read my tweets about complaining about things. Find me at Sam Eberts at Twitter. Okay, that's good. Um, you can, of course, find me just about everywhere. If you uh, f- want to follow me on, on Twitter, you can find me at RyanMR or on Google Plus at Ryan Rampersad and all over the place. And this, of course, is uh, the universe. This is the show where we complain about units because they're not equal to one and where we talk about science and science news and a lot of other fun things. And uh, we normally do this show on Saturday. And you know what? We're actually going to be done with it on Saturday. And it will be posted, actually, on Saturday. Yeah, we have a pretty good track record with sh- with this show. So no, I think this is honestly the second time we've actually got this done on a Saturday. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. it's two out of three, right? Two out of four. Yeah, it's gonna be two out of four. Yeah. Yeah. So this this is great. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Well, it's been fun. Have a good one.